You guys want some cookies? 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 Sometimes I wonder how I'd ever make it through Through this world without having you I just wouldn't have From the new garage <laughs> It's Throwback Podcast Part 2 Hair Metal Ballads like Are you going to kiss me? There's no way of breaking free <laughs> That's where I'm going to start Then I see you reach for me Sometimes I want to give up, want to give in, I want to quit the fight, and then I see a baby, and everything's okay. alright. Yes, that's bad English. Super group. A super group, Bob. How about the super groups? You're Give not, it up for the super groups. You're not even doing the intro because you were so taken in by bad English, you forgot to do the intro to the podcast. Unbelievable. <laughs> Welcome to the Throwback Podcast. I'm Dan Hansis. That's my bosom buddy, Bobby Castron. And Bob, part one, which I hope everyone has listened to, we did the rockers of the hair metal era now we're gonna hit the power ballads and what a great place to start i was thinking bob as that song went into the bridge it's like this is really soundly written and arranged and well it's because diane warren wrote it oh damn that's not fair uh who also wrote uh i don't want to miss a thing of course aerosmith a decade later song i know very well i miss you miranda oh Unbelievable. Did we both put this one on our list? Yes. Of course. How could we not? Uh, what makes a supergroup? Well, you better start with the guitarist of a Journey, if you're going to be serious. Yep. Uh, you're going to put in some John Waite of Missing You fame. Uh, you're going to have uh, Jonathan Cain. I think Ken, he was in Journey, too. Can't not have Got to get Jonathan that one right. And then, uh, Bob, how about this? This is really interesting to me, Bob. He was in Journey. I knew it. Um, Bob, the drummer's name is Dean Castronovo. Oh, wow. Uh, very, uh, very close, uh, to your, um, successor in life. Oh, I'm looking at that right now. He spells, he spells it D-E-E-N. Right. And the Weird. name is right to the very end. You got the E as the vowel, you freaking paisan, and he's got O-V-O. How about that? I like him. I like him. He looks like he could be related to me, too. Um, he's cooler than you. Um, Equally cool. All right. Oh, my dog, the captain, he's down by the wires. That's never a good thing. Let's check in. Your dog this. in the first five minutes of this uh, episode, which has been consumed by us listening to uh, Supergroup, bad English, he uh, he bit me through my pants. He started <laughs> biting my wallet through my pants. So you're doing a great job with the training, evidently. <laughs> well, I, I told him to get money from you, so that I gotta <laughs> give him credit for that. Actually, you're like a you're like a 1920s like street crime syndicate, <laughs> teaching dogs and orphans how to pickpocket people. Um. All right. So, yes. Again, how exciting uh, that we hit all the rockers, and it was there was a formula 
Bubby. Absolutely, there was a formula in the era, especially when uh, there was success in a traditional hard rock band, uh, then dipping into and doing, you know, showing the soft side yeah. for the ladies. Yep. And then it became not just an option for these bands. It was almost, you could, you hear, read interviews about it. It was almost forced upon them in many cases. You need to have at least one big ballad. And that produced many hits. Also, Bob, it had an unintended consequence of making the genre look pretty lame to certain people that were followers of rock music. I'm looking forward to kind of figuring out where that line was between hair metal power ballads and schlocky 80s rock. Yes. Because there was a line somewhere like, obviously, we're not going to be listening to Richard Marx today, but no, he's right on the other side of the line that has these songs that sound like they could have been Richard Marx songs. Sure. All right. Let's get into it. Skid Row. Hear that guitar? Oh, yeah. That's stupid. Like, it's like, we're not Richard Marx. Here it is again. Oh, this is also another song that we both picked, Bob. Oh, for sure. This one, uh, I mean, it almost could be in the rock song side, but it's a power ballad. We're going to get to that. Oh, so okay. Here's the chorus. So, Skid Row, released 1989, I Remember You, off their debut album. It is a power ballad. It is what you're saying, Bob. I definitely thought long and hard about several songs when we were picking the songs. And we both picked this one. Mm -hmm. Um, What is the line? Yeah, where is it? (laughs) I think that's like it choked up. And I think... (laughs) You're um, bawling right now. (laughs) And I think a, a part of it is subject matter. If it's like a love song, um, in terms of lyrically, but it's that kind of soft strum of the guitar in the in the verse, and yeah. then they dress it up with a little bit of a. That's where the power comes in in the in the chorus, but it's still on balance. Not a rock song by any means. This right. is a power ballad. They're doing the quiet, loud, quiet, loud kind of precursors to the Pixies and Nirvana. So Skid Row started it all. <laughs> no power ballad is a perfect way. Whoever yeah. came up with that, right. Like, I know, again, they don't like these bands of this era to be called hair metal. They prefer glam metal. But deal with it. Yeah. Like, you looked the way you looked, and that's how we chose to categorize you. Power ballad? Nobody's going to complain about that. No. No. Ballads have been around forever, and this fucking brought the it's got thunder. Power, this brought bro. the fucking power. Um, so, yeah, Skid Row. When I think about Skid Row, I think about um, Tony Ciarelli. Oh, yeah. Um, Makes sense. some of the other local toughs from our elementary school. Yeah. uh, They had a Skid Row shirt. One of them wore. I think it was Tony, but it could have been one of the others. Uh, And I remember uh, having a sleepover at um, Pat Loftus' house and him playing me 18 in Life by Skid Row. 
and being like, what is you, going on here? Were you scared? Yeah. You're a little scared. 18 yeah. in life was a tough one. That was, yeah. that was uh, thematically pretty heavy for a nine-year-old. Uh, so this was the, uh, that was more of a harder song, but this was the one for the ladies. Skid Row was scary. They were one of the scary ones when we were in like third, fourth grade. That's pretty bad because Sebastian Bach was the elite singer. I mean, he was a beautiful man. I know, but also like a, a big goofy douchebag. Big goofy douchebag. <laughs> I rode an elevator with him once at VH1 because, you know, this was when I was at VH1. It was the prime uh, behind the music. Oh, yeah. More so the I love the 80s, I love the 90s. And best week ever. Those guys were always available. They were just in the Especially elevator. Especially Bach. They were in the elevator every day. They were basically running the elevator. They were like... The <laughs> <laughs> they were the elevator operators? Yeah, exactly. They have like the little jackets yep. and that top hat? <laughs> and I remember seeing Sebastian Bach in there. <laughs> Is that Neil Schoen? And I was, I started talking to him and he was wearing like heels. So he was like six foot six. Yeah, that's a nice And play. just like... Hanging. When you're tall and then wear the heels? Yeah. That's a good move. But he was, uh, he was a beast. But a, a handsome, pretty man in the 80s. But still scary and intimidating. You found him to be scary. I don't well, think no, anybody I found, ever thought of Skid Row. I found Row Skid scary. Row, just the name Skid Row and their logo, okay. like their okay. their font. They had a scary font. Pretty. I mean, the font would get you. I yeah, mean, it was a red, like almost like a graffiti scroll. Oh, so yeah. scary, so scary, such scary graffiti. We weren't tough kids. We were not tough kids. Um, all right. And Tony Ciarelli did come to my house one day to beat me up. Why, Bob? I don't know. I think our lockers were right next to each other. You know, last names. You got to give him a little bit of credit. He went to your house. He didn't like, like he wanted to beat the shit out of you so badly, Bob. <laughs> he showed up to my house. He went to your house. He didn't just wait till like school. Him and um, Brian McLaughlin walked over to my house. What did you do, Bob? This is like fifth grade. And I had heard that, you know, Tony Ciarelli wanted to beat me up. I think because literally just because our lockers were next to each other and we would like have to get to our lockers at the same time. But that's not how Kiddom worked. No, we would both like be fighting for space at our lockers. <laughs> it's like move over, Tony Ciarelli. This is my locker. I mean, they, it was, I guess, pretty tight quarters. <laughs> it was like uh, me and Vishwaguya had a similar situation. <laughs> you know, the alphabetical order would really. Oh, and I remember she came to your house and beat the shit out of you. She did. She pounded on me. <laughs> uh, I was a senior in high school. Uh, yes, and what happened? I remember we went out into the backyard and started playing like football which was just like a guise for him to start fighting me. Yeah. And I was able to avoid him like hitting me the whole time. And then it just kind of like, I think they got bored and left. Where was your mom in this? Inside, blissfully unaware in a perfectly 80s way. <laughs> like, does anybody want snacks? As Tony Ciarelli's like punching me in the back of the head. <laughs> Rabbit punches. <laughs> what, what else? What else was lost in your backseat? Oh. All right, here we go. Do you think Ron Jovi played this after he fired his bassist Alec Van Such? This is what he thinks about. This is what he plays when he thinks about his bassist. It sucks. Nobody even talks to him anymore. I think about him a lot. All right, we doubled up on Bon Jovi, Bob. Yeah. So let's let's roll them together here. That's Never Say Goodbye off Slippery When Wet. 
Bon Jovi, to their credit, and they work with the right people, a lot of pressure on the follow-up um, to Slippery When Wet, one of the biggest albums of the 80s. Mm-hmm. They put out New Jersey. Yeah. Oh, we're from New Jersey. It's an organization. <laughs> we're a family. We keep it in-house. And uh, the big ballad off New Jersey was I'll Be There For You. Oh, yeah. this time you're really Here it comes. Do it. I'll be there for you. These five words I swear to you. I want to be the air for you. Oh. See, the last song was about him fucking a girl in the backseat, and now he's just going to be there forever. Not just fucking a girl. <laughs> Taking her V card. Taking her V card. He married his high school sweetheart. We're going to give him a little pop for that. Give him some pop for that. Uh, still with her. You know, I think like real metal, uh, hair metal jabronis, who if you're still like a hair metal fan in 2023, no offense to your brother, you're probably a hair metal <laughs> jabroni. Okay. Uh, they'd be like, oh, I can't believe you put Bon Jovi on the rock episode. And Shut I up. get I, I get Shut it. Up. I get it. This is his wheelhouse. This is the Bon Jovi where he settled into. You can't take away the big rockets like living on a prayer. And shot through the heart, but this is where he really made his. Uh, you don't think made his name? I think. I, thanks for putting this on my radar. You're not saying that there are people that listen to the last episode and think those are our favorite rock songs of the '80s. Oh, that's a good point. Maybe that's not what that was. <laughs> too late now. If that's the case, that was a specific genre experiment, which New Jersey or Bon Jovi. Hey, it's an, we're a family. Uh, absolutely deserved to be on with their big rock hits. Yeah. but their ballads were. Yeah, unimpeachable at the era. This is a number one hit. Wow! By the way, that's, that's another power one. ballad. I don't remember the video. Do you remember the video? I don't. I bet his hair looked fantastic, though. Beautiful man. Did you ever watch a Bon Jovi movie? I was trying to remember. What was he in? He was in a movie where he was a house painter. I kind of remember the house painter. Uh, he was in a movie where he was, was that a with submarine. Marissa, Marissa Tomei? It was... Oh, no. I'm thinking of Christian Slater with a baboon heart. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. Um, so, house painter, um, submarine film. Um... And that was pretty much it, I think. Was he in Preda Porter? Porte? Preda Was he in that one? Wasn't that a documentary? No. Ooh, sorry. No, you idiot. <laughs> I remember the the heat around Preda Porte 
Um, was Eni Kamozi? Here comes the hot stepper. Besides yeah. that, was uh-huh. that it was coming to request um, Channel ninety five uh-huh. uh, with a box that might a cable box that maybe fell off the back of a truck, uh-huh. and there were rumors that there was an incredible amount of um, not just nudity, Bob, but like a list nudity. Like you saw, yeah. you saw Cindy Crawford. Mm. You might have seen some Naomi Campbell. Mm. You might have seen some Christy Toylington. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then if you uh, investigated that as maybe a, a boy of 12 or 13 would, I believe there was a lot of disappointment. Yeah. Looking back. Yeah. There's a lot of right. black and white and like chicks smoking cigarettes. He was not in that, by the way. He was in Moonlight and Valentino, which is the I one. I think that's when he's painting the house. I think he's painting a house in that one. <laughs> I think when he was on doing his VH1 uh, specials, uh, and he would talk about getting into acting, yeah, uh, and nobody even talks to him anymore. Uh, they would always show the two clips: painting a house, painting a house in overalls, and yeah. then in a submarine. U five seven one. That was the submarine it. movie. That's it. That was it. And actually, he was such a good looking guy, Bon Jovi, that when um, in nineteen ninety three, when they had ninety four, when they had that huge ballad, always. Mm-hmm. Um, there was that actor that was uh, terrorizing Carlo Gugino in it. Uh, I thought that was Bon Jovi because oh, he was yeah. that pretty and handsome and leading man looks. It's almost surprising that he couldn't he couldn't kind of ascend beyond the house painter and like fourth lead in the submarine. You would think. All right, let's get to it. I'm gonna write a movie for him and Stephen Jenkins together at last. Now, yeah. You know, again, to Bon Jovi's credit, have you seen him lately? Looks great. Still handsome. Still handsome. Um, ears, white hair. White hair, ears, decent size. Getting bigger, though. Getting a little bigger. All right, uh, here is one of the great ballads, More Than Words. Say Singer of Van Halen, Gary Sharon, also part-time work in Extreme. This is more than words, and it it's a total flashback song, Bob, to uh, sixth grade, and that's when we first had dances, mm-hmm. uh, and DJ Howie on the ones and twos at the Pearl River Middle School. Um, cafeteria heart to heart turned into a, a dance floor yep and this was the song yeah this and boys to men and maybe throwing a mariah song were like the songs i don't remember what it actually would be i'd love to go back in time and know dj howie probably only had two or three slow songs that right he played that night this had to be one of them right? this had to be one and uh, well i remember they lowered the lights and you and I got on a couple of stools that we sang this for our sixth grade class. You took the Sharon part. I took the other guy's part. And then Tony Ciarelli curb stomped you. <laughs> Maybe that's why he wanted to kick my ass. I ran and hid in the woods. Maybe that's why. Um, yeah, how about this one, Bob? You know what? I didn't put this on because I feel like it lacks power. 
It's a ballad. It's a ballad. And Gary Sharon did not bring the power to this one. So I'm kind of calling bullshit on this one. Wait, what? I think that you kind of call him bullshit. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who said it had to be a power ballad? I mean, that's the, it's 80s. 80s Power ballad. Ballads. Power ballads. Oh, there's a disagreement. I mean, ballads you could put on any. Let me ask you a question. If extreme more than words is not on a playlist about this genre's like sensitive songs, it's incomplete. It's incomplete, Bob. Just because it doesn't have a wheel. I think it needs a wheel. <laughs> I stand by it. I think part of like what made this whole genre, like sub genre of this music so funny was that they would totally they'd putting down the guitars and they're just completely cashing out on who they actually are to get a number one hit. Yep. And that's what Extreme did. And that's what so many other bands did. I'm looking at the Time Life Monster Ballads CD. Yeah. Which, by the way, it's a nine CD set, so there's no way that this isn't going to be on it. <laughs> it has to be on it. Yeah, I mean, it's got to When you get nine CDs deep, it's going to be there. It's pretty song. Here's what Gary Sharon, who, seriously, I'm not joking, was in Van Halen as their lead singer for one album. Um, he said, it became a monster. It took a life of its own, and we couldn't kill it. I think it will pass the test of time. I think a lot of these guys struggled um, with these songs becoming their biggest hit right. and what they were known for because then it was almost like uh, the bill coming due on it where it was like you got your hit, you got your money, uh, you're on MTV, you're on the radio, but now everything that you thought or you believed in as a band and what you stood for is not what anybody thinks you are. Right. You're this now. It's like what uh, Janie Lane was saying on our last episode about Cherry Pie. Um, that's different because at least that was a, a rocker. Right. But these guys, it would be a totally different type of music. Like this is a soft rock acoustic song from a band whose album that this was off was called Extreme to Porno Graffiti. Like <laughs> the name of the album was <laughs> Porno Graffiti and had this song on it as uh, uh, the lead single. What or, a... What a- Dumb person's idea of something that's clever. Porno graffiti. It's like pornography, but graffiti. Porno um, graffiti. It's the boondock saints of album titles. That's true. Uh, all right, Bob. Let's now move uh, to more pretty men. <laughs> yes, please. With long hair. Yes. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Here we go. Those guitars sound like shit. <laughs> Here she comes, just like an angel. Seems like forever that she's been on my life. Like, listen, <laughs> we're not real musicians. Bob, uh, before COVID, was trying to start a a dad band. Uh, so didn't came, get off the ground. Came so close. We just got shut down by COVID. We were like Quibby. I could play a little bit of glycerine on uh, the six string. Uh, at one time, I could play the beginning of Stand By Me by Oasis. Um, Bob, I think you... What was your musical? I could play Bona Fides. The beginning of Brick on piano by Ben Folds 5. So we're qualified yeah. to tell you that these guitar, these acoustic guitars sound out of tune. <laughs> Maybe that's just terrible production. I think it's just terrible music. <laughs> 
I mean, you can say what you want to say what you want about how bad this is, but just wait till the chorus kicks in, and then it just <laughs> it transcends. Yes, here we go. Nelson. It's a, it's a really bad song. Bad song. Bad, bad name. <laughs> bad look with the bad long look. blonde hair. Twin brothers. Did um, did Stuart from Beavis and Butthead have a Nelson shirt, or was it always Winger? I think it was always Winger, but I, I definitely, definitely like Nelson. Yeah, he definitely liked Nelson. They definitely talked about Nelson with Stuart, I'm sure. Uh, this reminds me of like a, a boy band song that would come a decade later, but like... The BB Mac boy bands kind of level, <laughs> like not the not the top tier, like the tier below ninety eight degrees. Uh, put out songs like that. We want to take check out an excerpt from uh, Beavis and Butthead discussing Nelson. I think we have to. Okay, here we go. Here she comes. <laughs> These chicks look like guys. <laughs> yeah, that one's not wearing a bra. <clears throat> <clears throat> hey, butthead. I heard that this chick's grandpa is Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> no way, asswipe. They're Elvis's kids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get the one on the left. <laughs> <laughs> You get the ugly one. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Uh, they are twin sons of Ricky Nelson and Kristen Nelson. Uh, Ricky Nelson is... He's like one of those... Uh, yeah. Is it Ozzy and Harriet? The Adventures of Ozzy and there Harriet. There we go. So, you know, Hollywood kids. Right. Uh, born, grew up in Santa Monica and became briefly a big time act. I never... I had no connection to Nelson at all, I have to say. I don't even know. I only know that they suck. Yeah, they suck. Like, that That's all you need to know. Like, that was their hook the- of the time. Um, all right. Let us move on. I like how I like slandered you for putting on Extreme and then followed up by <laughs> Nelson. <laughs> yeah, there isn't. Was there any squealing in that? Not really. <laughs> no squeal. Uh, yeah. Um, all right. Let's let's you not met, on purpose. I think Butthead thought that uh, Nelson might have been um, Ozzy's kid uh, or the kids. Ozzy and Harriet. That was the bet. Ah, very good, very good. Deep cut. So, speaking of which, Ozzy Osbourne, who is not a glam metal guy, but he checked in. Times have changed and times are strange. Here I come, but I ain't the same. Mama, I'm coming home. So Ozzy's kind of similar to me to Aerosmith in that 
um, veteran rocker, came of age in the 70s, Black Sabbath, of course. A lot of these bands in their harder moments were indebted to Ozzy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it was time for Ozzy to you know, buy another house, kind of hired the producers that were yeah. writing the, the glam metal songs of the time. And uh, dipped his toe in, and again, like Aerosmith, I thought did it better than almost anybody else. Uh, it's, it's amazing that when you have genuine talent, that you can rise to the top of any sort of shitty situation. It seems to seems play a to role. be the thing. Yeah. Let's listen to some more of "Mama, I'm Coming Home." I could be right, I could be wrong. It hurts so bad. It's been so long. Mama, I'm coming home. Selfish love, yeah, we're both alone The right before the fall, yeah But I'm gonna take this heart of stone I just got to hit it all I've seen your face a hundred times Every day we've been apart Oh yeah, this sounds better. Uh, it's better produced. It's actually it also came out in the U.S. in February '92. Wow! So it was kind of like he, you know, he toured famously with Motley Crue and was snorting ants off the right. the pool deck and partying and touring with all those guys through the era. And he kind of came out of it all unscathed before he became a reality star himself. I mean, he was probably how old was he then? Like forty. He had doing that to kind be of shit. Around 40, yeah. Do you think you could snort ants now in your 40s? I mean, you were doing that a lot in your 20s. A but lot. Do you think you could do it in your 40s? Adi, Ozzy was born in 48, so in 88 he was 40. So this is like a guy. He's about our age when the song comes out. So I don't know what that means. It means that we still have our mama. I'm coming home in us. No, because we're on the other side of 40, so okay. it's too late for us. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a that's it. Saw Ozzy. He played the um, NFL kickoff game, uh, Rams against Bills from SoFi Stadium last September, and he's in such ill health that they wheeled him him out as part of the stage, like he was under the stage. Oh! And then the band takes the stage and begins a song, and then he comes up on a riser through the floor, doesn't move, and doesn't move. Sings, sounds great. Okay. And then when the song ends. He lowers back into the stage, and then it's on wheels, and they wheel him back uh, off the field. I heard now they have somebody, they have like a nurse there that bites the head off the bats for him, (laughs) chews it up, and then gives it to him, and then he just kind of eats it with a spoon. Uh, Bob, that's disrespectful. (laughs) To the nurse? To a rock god. Speaking of Motley Crue. Another band that's you know known for the rockers, yeah. And we could have easily gone with Home Sweet Home, which is you know, another song about going home. There we go.
played Kickstart My Heart on the first episode. This was the follow-up single to Kickstart My Heart. There's that formula again. There's the rocker, and now here's the ballad. And this one uh, reached number eight on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Doesn't do much for me, Bob. Uh, why did you pick it? Um, because I have a heart and a soul. Okay, good answer. Uh, wait, do we secretly love the album Dr. Feelgood? Because... <laughs> We've got Kickstart My Heart, this, I had same old situation. Are we big Dr. Feelgood fans? I mean, if we are, that's okay. It's okay. Uh, you know, I just looked at the Wikipedia page to see like where this has been in pop culture, and sadly it's missing that in the uh, Wikipedia entry. Uh, but I don't, I feel like I grew up in a world where this was like scoring beautiful moments in teen dramas, and I, I just felt like this was going to be a part of my life at some point. In like a very pivotal moment. Well, you you work, Bob, in the business of show. You're a uh, a screenwriter, uh, a director. It's not too late. And I'll tell you what, this belongs somewhere. Vince Neil has. Um, he will sign off on a check coming. Oh, his I'm way sure he will. Nothing. Yeah, yeah. I'm not worried about that part. That's the easy part. The the hard part is everything else. But these these seem easy to do. These power ballads, um, but. They're not easy to do. And case in point is um, a few years after this. I think even Cappy is uh, he's yeah, feeling he's that upset. song. He's feeling that song. He's emotional about he's it. He's emotional. He's thinking about his girlfriend, wherever she may be. Yeah. Um, did you ever hear uh, a quick detour, an attempt at a power ballad that got, goes terribly wrong, which is uh, Brandon Lee uh, or Tommy Lee writing a ballad for his son, Brandon, on the Generation Swine album? <laughs> I mean, everything about that sentence just screams, this is not going to go well. This says, this is Little James by Oasis Fives. Oh, no, that's ready? the worst. This is how the Motley Crue album ends, by the way. And you know the rest of the band was like, no, we can't do this. Here we go. Okay, we got it. This is Pam's uh, son as well. Yeah. Um, so they were still I, trying I didn't, I, for I didn't it. make it to the part in the Hulu show where they talked about this. <laughs> they I was can't. out before that. that. So adding the power ballad in 1997 didn't have the same effect. But they did score. Like, we could have easily put on um, Home Sweet Home. Of course. That's like. But who needs to hear that right now? That's what I was thinking. So I, 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 I sign off on your decision. But I just Googled, um, out of curiosity, worst power ballads of all time. And we've already played three of them. So according to the <laughs> the dude that wrote that list, that was fucking like, oh, my favorite band sold out and played lame wussy music. We're right. hitting we're hitting the sweet spot for that guy. Let's clean it up then. Yes. 
Desmond Child alert. song is you know what's like the recipe for a, a good song i don't know to you because i i want to oh this is this part yeah um i would say my definition would be it's not just the chorus right a good chorus is maybe the key to a song right right but the really good songs the verses are hooky and the oh, bridge yeah. is hooky and all like the little various vocal runs are memorable and that's what this song has like every part of the song is kind of memorable and kind of as an earworm. It's a great pop song. I mean, even just like the harmonica in the background, in the it comes in at the right time. Like everything about this song just kind of hits in the right spots. Yes. And being able to drop it down. I mean, this is going to be a weird comparison, but we talked about in our spring break episode how Miss um, Jackson, how just that forever ever moment took that song to like another level. Spelling out fine takes the song to another level. It's like oh, that those weird those little moments in a song that you can just like sing along to or you just immediately identify makes a big difference. Right. And that's like I was actually thinking about that. I was listening to that line, uh, girl before I met you, I was F I N E fine or whatever it is. And it's like it's not a uh, something you're going to see on Blood on the Tracks. It's right. not it's not what would be considered a quote unquote like high-level uh, lyrical writing in right. rock music. But it, it's fun. It's like a pop song, and it doesn't have to be... I think that's what Aerosmith kind of nailed with their um, remaking themselves in their Phase 2 or whatever, is that they just were into making like fun, polished radio hits, and it's not that easy to do, and they made it look easy. I wouldn't like this song as much if it was Girl Before I Met You, I Was On My Own Just Fine. Like right. It wouldn't feel the same. Like There's something about spelling it out for whatever reason that gives you that moment. And that's a lot of that is Steven Tyler. And that's the other thing about this song. Like, you know, Steven Tyler's getting up there. And, and you're, I've heard some reports that he's not in the great, great health at this point. This song, there's especially as the song kind of comes in for a landing, there's so many kind of absurd like vocal runs in it where almost any other singer would be like, right. you're ruining the song. Right. Stop. Stop talking. Stop singing. Stop yelling. And yet he kind of makes every part of it really uh, memorable. Like this part. Like he keep, now he goes, he's doing this, yeah. right? And so he's doing this part, and then it's like, oh, let the music read. No, he's going to do this now. Right. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Joe Barry. Joe Barry's just like, shut up. <laughs> Let me do my thing. There comes another scream. He's howling. <laughs> Steven, shut up and let the fucking music play for itself. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Ah, I really, I just, stop writing books where you confess to crimes. And really, yeah, we don't need to do that. Don't do that. It's going to suck when your entire legacy is erased because of uh, the coming legal actions. You know, you we were about talking about the, the statute of limitations. Let's figure out what's going on there. Tyler's like, wait a second. I wrote that book in like 1992. <laughs> I thought I was in the clear. And the crime was way before that, so I should be fine. <laughs> All right. So Aerosmith, they, they found a way. They did it. They came back. And yeah, let's give a shout out to uh, Desmond Child again, who wrote basically half of the great songs of this era. Who knew? Can you imagine what that house looks like? Oh, it's a nice house. That is a nice house. All right. Coming up next, Bob. You love yourself some Def Leppard. Give me some Def Leppard. I'm just going to say it. I think Def Leppard was the most talented band of this era. Wow. Big statement. Yeah. Hang on. My dog's chewing up my shoe. I'll be right back. I don't even know if this qualifies again as a power ballad. I don't know if this is ballady enough, but I just think it's a great rock song. Yeah, I almost put a uh, "Love Bites" on, which is oh, another yeah. uh, yeah. kind of interesting song that certainly fits the power ballad mold. But even that, to like what you were saying, that song's kind of weird and has some interesting stuff going on sound sound wise um, that makes them kind of have their own sound. Right. I think that's something that made them interesting is that they had their own type of uh, vibe independent of uh, some of these other acts, which all kind of sounded similar. Right. Yeah, I'll give Motley Crue credit for that. When they were doing their best music, they sounded like, you know, their own thing as well. But the best, you said. Yeah, I think so. I just think when you put down, like, everything from Pour Your Sugar, Pour Some Sugar on Me, to this, to even some of their later stuff, it's like they, they were just operating as a real rock band at a time when hair metal was the dominant force. And I think they played into it because they that's kind of who they were and they knew how to do it. But I think they were a better rock band than that. 
Yeah, I, I even, I mean, my did favorite they, stuff is their earlier stuff. Did they have as many arms as the other bands? No. <laughs> one less. They were one, one less, less, but I mean, they're still great. I mean, Photograph, which we played on the last show, uh, Rock of Ages, another great potential power ball that I thought about, um, Bring It On The Heartache. Yeah. Uh, bring It On The Heartbreak. That's another one. All right. We like, are we Def Leppard fans? I think we're Def Leppard fans. And real quick, I, I have to circle back to the Aerosmith song you just played. Yes. First what thing it takes. I thought was... Me a drummer, and he's lost me arm. <laughs> Turns out it's never happened, but I thought it did. Um, so uh, what it takes on the album Pump, right? Yeah. Track two on the album Pump, F-I-N-E Fine, written by Steven Tyler, Desmond Child. Interesting. So it's an inner album reference that ended up working out F-I-N-E Fine for them. I love it, Bob. What does it, it all mean, Bob? Who knows? All right, here we go. We move on, Bob. You know, uh, a lot of this uh, scene, of course, uh, originates in Los Angeles, uh, but the music, the metal of hair, mm-hmm. spread all ac- across uh, the world, the civilized world, Bob, mm-hmm. including West Germany. Oh, yeah. West fucking Germany, Bob. That wall's coming down, bitch. <laughs> this helped bring the wall down. Have you ever heard about any of the theories about this song? No. Oh, there's a whole there's a whole thing about this. Listen to this guy singing in English. It's great. Summer night, soldiers passing by, listening to the wind of change. It's tough. See, that's my biggest fear. As a, that's kind of one of the things that slowed down the dad bods. Mm-hmm. Those moments when you have to do like a whistle solo. Oh. How do you know you're ready for that? You never know. You never know, but they I've never been to a show where somebody's missed. Did you know, well, if you blow the wh- I would lip sync my whistle solos. Oh, really? You would Millie Vanilli the whistle? I, because I think you can get away with it where it wouldn't cost you your, your uh, integrity. Oh, no, I'd be too scared. It's like an Ashley Simpson scenario. I'd be so worried that they would know <laughs> that would I wasn't. Would you do like a hoedown dance yes, yeah. in shame? I'd be nervous. Um, did you know with an estimated sales of 14 million copies... Wind of Change is one of the best-selling singles of all time. Really? Yeah. Eric's chorus. Alright, so the history of the song is great, Bob. First of all, it's a great little nug. The band presented a gold record and and seventy thousand dollars of royalties uh, from the single to Mikhail Gorbachev in 1991. Mickey, seventy thousand, a little <laughs> on the low end. Uh, with Soviet news sources claiming the money would be allocated to children's hospitals. Oh, I'm sure it was. I mean, can, I just gotta say, Scorpions, like. Maybe we up that number. Let's at least make it an even 100 if it's going to like children's hospitals. Well, maybe they knew it wasn't going to go to the children's hospitals. Anyway, so the song was about the end of the Cold War and the Berlin Wall coming down. However, Bob, did you know 
and it even has its own Wikipedia section, that the song um, is the subject of speculation and reporting, which raises questions regarding the song's origin. Uh, it has been said that it's perhaps connected to the Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA, uh, citing a rumor um, originating that the song was used as a propaganda device to help end... Um, you know, any level of uh, East Germany pushback or Soviet, basically to, to continue to build the goodwill and power of this uh, yeah. democracy-defeating communism vibe. And the song was helped by, like, high-level songwriters in the U.S. conspiring with the Scorpions. Basically, uh, we'll scratch your back, you scratch ours, we'll make this song a hit, and then uh, you will spread our message of right. democracy. What do you uh, think about that? I mean, if there's anything our government has shown us, it's how capable they are of pulling things off. And I'm sure they would have no problem writing a number one hit to sell 14 million copies. I, it's a great theory. It's completely stupid. Um, <laughs> Was Avril Lavigne involved, the first one? Maybe. Okay. Maybe Avril won. Maybe that's why Avril won disappeared. Oh. She got too close. <laughs> too close to the Scorpions. So maybe, just maybe, this song actually ended the Cold War. Just, no, Rocky Four ended the Cold that's War. What, that's what we thought, but right. now we're opening our eyes and learning more, Bob. The combo, it. the Rocky Four Scorpions combo. See, this song just takes me immediately to the the Monster Ballad commercial because yes. this is it. I mean, it does make democracy sound awesome. Wind of change plus CIA. I don't even know if we're allowed to talk about this. I know. This could be the thing that brings us down. The CIA saw rock music as a cultural weapon in the Cold War. Wind of change was released a year after the fall of the Berlin Wall. Interesting. A cultural weapon in the Cold War. Hmm. So does that make us a cultural weapon by... Giving the song a platform here? Are we keeping the Cold War at bay? Maybe. So we're doing Cold War's back though, right? Like it's it's like on. It's fucking on. It's right not getting it's not getting the branding it used to though. Like it, it is, but we're not talking about it as like a Cold War. It's it's fucking big though, bro. <laughs> we got some issues. Like we are <sighs> Oh, here we go. What are are people plugged in on what's going on? Like I'm not digging in too deep go, on you know Ukraine and and what's going on there, are but are we aware that there are a bunch of like like missiles with big time capabilities being tested all around us, and there's balloons floating over the country, right? right. Like there's UFOs too now. There's UFOs, bro. Not, right? Are we are, are, are as Americans, Bob? Are we aware that we are in imminent danger? Right now, of something terrible happening? No, I'm I'm not aware of that at all because I listen to rock music and I'm happy and content and it's doing what it needs to do to keep me okay. Tell me that, Bob. Yeah. Tell me everything's gonna be okay. Just push play and you'll be okay. That's the slogan. Push play, you'll be okay. I like it, Bob. You're not gonna like this. I do like this. Girl, show me what he's done to you. Stand up, little girl. 
I mean, if you weren't down with more than words, you can't be down with to be with you. I still don't know if it's a power ballad. It's a ballad. It's one of those songs, perfect example. It's not just the chorus. The verses are great. Right. Yes. Stephen Thomas Erlewine called this song the hit campfire sing-along ballad. Accurate. Give him an STE little pop. Yeah, but he's just saying he's got something right. Doesn't mean he's good at what he does. Yes, we've talked about this one before. This is, I think, on the playlist. It is, I believe. I believe so. Mr. Big, lean into it. They literally are big in Japan. Right. Uh, one of those bands, uh, that phenomenon. Um, and this is, to me, like when I think about ballads, I think about this song and I think about uh, the extreme song. As as someone who's big in England and nowhere else, right. do you kind of have like a certain like kinship with Mr. Big? Absolutely. Do you kind of feel like you know what they were going through? I'm actually in Mr. Big. Oh, wow. Yes, we tour in... Uh, London specifically and sell out bro wow that makes yeah. sense uh, that, this is me actually notice how maybe it was a a little bit of a heads up when I pointed out how bad and shitty the guitar in the Nelson song was yeah I'm a musician like legitimately boring oh. musician but you also mentioned like the two and a half songs you know how to play wow well, yeah. come on over let me be the one to show there's the power he brought the power with that right there that was more power power. than Gary Sharon Gary Sharon where are you Gary Sharon we need you buddy um beautiful song it's a it's a it's a nice song yeah it's a good song it's middle school but it's not a tacky song no not tacky I think it's legitimately a good song yeah I agree it's no Nelson but yeah um there's one song remaining, Bob. Is there anything you want to share, get off your chest um, as someone who grew up around this music, as a, a sensitive child uh, at the turn of the decade? Oh, wow. This is your platform, Bob. I've cleared the runway for you to share something um, about yourself or about the generation you currently represent. Well, seeing as this is a podcast specifically for people born in exactly 1980. Yes. I'll come clean and admit that when I listen to this music, a big part of me wishes I was born in exactly 1975. Ah, good call. Good call. You know, when yeah, we, when I hear you on that. I just think that, you know, it was great kind of coming of age during alternative music when, you know, we got to experience the grunge movement. And then during those awkward teenage years where a lot of the songs were about, being awkward and being a loser or being a creep. And you're like, yeah, that's me. But what would we have been five years earlier if the music of our formative years was be fucking awesome, party, but also have that sensitive side? How would it have changed us? Exactly. That's my question. Obviously, the spring breaks would have been better because we would have been on 
you know, at Daytona Beach with all that right, his long Cancun. butt. Right. So much long butt. So everywhere long butt. everywhere you turn, there's a long butt. Right. Turn left. Long butt. Long butt. Turn right. Long hiney. Right. Look straight ahead. A towering buttocks. <laughs> Three stories of butt. <laughs> but no, we were just five years off, I think. So uh, You know what's behind you? Just a skyscraper of, of ass. <laughs> An ass scraper. And, and a, um, a, a bikini bottom that could cover the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> yeah. And they were living it. They the loved woman, it. And the woman was extremely fit. That's why. Someone make it make it make sense. That's why they invented the string that goes from one side of the sunglasses to the other. Because when you were raising your sunglasses up to get a yeah. better look at the long butt, a lot of people were dropping their sunglasses. Because yes. they were going like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was falling, so they were like, "We need something to stop people from breaking all these sunglasses." You know what I think I would love to know, actually. Um, Hip hop culture did a did a lot in terms of really putting the ass um, into the mainstream on the map, yeah. Um, but I'm curious about like if there were hip hop songs in the '80s that were about long butt, or uh, does hip hop culture are they aware that like rock culture had a whole butt scene they were just they weren't going out they were going up but they were see rock yeah they were celebrating the flat butt which is exactly what rebelling hip-hop rebelled against the flat 100 percent, yeah sir mix-a-lot taught us that um i know my wife's not listening to this and if you guys don't tell her that i told the story then uh i can get away with it but um when heather was in college she won like in her dorm room and she's a little older than us yeah so she was uh like 93 or whatever one best butt in like her dorm. Wow. And uh, she will be the first to tell you flat, butt. flat as a board, but it was, well, I mean, calm down a little bit, but um, <laughs> in like the early nineties, that was the best, butt at UConn was Unbelievable. like, yeah. a Yukon, butt is a skyscraper. Well, I, again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say she has a skyscraper. Well, butt. you've introduced this conversation. I'm just saying that we've laughed about how like a few years later, JLo had the best, butt. But, so when she wins that competition, are there photos I don't, taken? First of all, or? it wasn't a competition. It was just like dudes in the dorm that was like, who's got the best butt? It was more like that. It wasn't like a spring break bikini contest that I'm aware of. Wow. And where were you at this time? Up? Getting bar mitzvahed. <laughs> Barely becoming a man. Oh, yes. <laughs> Wait, can we play it again? <laughs> I, when, I, when I replayed this song, I listened to that like 15 times. <laughs> I you know I think that Brett Michaels is always a little bit sharper and savvy than a lot of his brethren, and this is a very uh, beautifully calculated exhale to show how hard yep. it is being poison. <sighs> it wavers. <laughs> it's like it is. It's telling. It's kind of brilliant. Well, let's see who could do it better. All right, let me try. Yours has a little panic to it. His is a little panic. No, yours. It's <laughs> no, a I know. Like, oh my god, there's an entire dorm room talking <laughs> about my wife's ass. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody does it like Brett. Like it's not all party. No, it's not. Like Brett's got feelings. Yeah, there's more Brett, to me. Brett's got a past mm-hmm. that he can't run away from. We both lie silently still in the dead of the night. Of 
Though we both lie close together We feel miles apart inside Was it something I said or something Imagine that was the whole chorus Just the inhale and exhale <laughs> <laughs> I tried not to hurt you Though I tried But I guess that's why this It's the Just like <laughs> Every rose has its Yes, it does. I always like that too. So good. So unnecessary, but that's like learning from Steven Tyler. Yep. What year is this? I want to say this is uh, 89. Yeah. Yeah, it does. October 88, yeah. CC All right, so this is our final song. It's a great way to close it, Bob. It is. We started with Poison in the first episode, ending with Poison here. And you can certainly make a case for Home Sweet Home by uh, Motley Crue as sure. like the power ballad of the era. But for me, if I had to pick one, and now we're talking power ballad, yeah, it's this song. And I hope, I hope uh, Poison signed a good publishing deal, and this is keeping them paid for the rest of the time because they deserve it. I agree. Did Desmond Child write this one too? I'm gonna look into it. Just like every night has its Songwriters credited to full band. Nice. Always like that move. Good. Brett Michael, CC Deville, Bobby Doll, Ricky Rocket. Uh, Brett Michael said, of course, on Behind the Music, that the inspiration for the song came from a night when he was in a laundromat in Dallas, waiting for his clothes to dry, <sighs> and called his girlfriend on a payphone. Ah, the payphone, so romantic. Michael said he heard a male voice in the background and was devastated. He said he went into the laundromat and wrote, Every Rose Has Its Thorn as a result. Wow. It's pretty good. Pretty good. That ever happened to you? Like, repeatedly. Guy in the background? All the time. Wait, you got a guy in the background multiple no, times? Never happened to me, but seems like you know something I don't. <laughs> um, it was at UConn. Oh, no. made a and now I hear found somebody new And that I never meant that much to you To hear that Perfect This was like profound when you were 10 years old Yes You know, like this was like, wow, every rose has its thorn I know, I get what this that means This was blood on the tracks Yeah If I, you were a 10 year old I get what that means This is fucking beautiful uh, This was like the perfect song when you're a kid and it's been, it's one of those songs that because it's so of its time, it's been overused in 
kind of bad comedies and right this and that to the point where it almost seems cliche. But I, yeah, like it was probably in that Dane Cook movie, My Best Friend's Girl. Like and, it feels like it probably was. Yes, used almost certainly. Like and I think uh, yeah, like Home Sweet Home. The reason we didn't play it is it's been used so much to signify that era that it kind of ruined the song a little bit for me. But Every Rose Has Its Thorn overcame that. Was there like a kid sing-along version of that where like the words were a little different, like a Jingle Bells, Batman Smells kind of thing? I kind of remember something, but I can't identify it. No, I don't think so. Maybe I'm wrong. I do remember uh, going back to the last episode, we played Paradise City, and I remember at our school there was a, um alternate version. Right, I think we talked about that when we did our Guns N' Roses episode. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah that was definitely a thing, but I think there might have been. Was every the grass is green and the girls got... I think that was it. Yeah, something like that. Um, Canceled. Your uh, statute statute of limitation, not up for that. So uh, canceled. Yeah. All right, there you go, Bob. That is part two of our deep dive into hair metal. Now, are we qualified to truly handle the genre? No. Five years earlier, we would have been. Yes. Uh, But even if we were born five years earlier, we still wouldn't have been qualified. But that's never been what this show is about. We, we take our best swing at it, Bob, based on what we know, which is not much, and how we feel, which is a lot. We right. feel, Bob. And that's what you need uh, for these ballads. Just wait till we do our reggae episode. You'll see how unqualified we can be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, oh, that would be bad. Um, how, about, right. how about like origin of butt stuff in hip-hop <laughs> culture? How will that go for us? I want to do like a, a pumps in the bump version uh, with uh, hammers follow up. Just all booty songs? No, just like uh, male package and thong. Wasn't that what pumps in the bump was about? That was about his uh, his unit, right? Yeah, yeah, where he's yeah. pumping it in the butt. Yeah, that's our next episode. <laughs> Hammer, hammers follow up. <laughs> hammers follow. up. Hammers gangster follow up. <laughs> Perfect. Let's just see. Let's start going down a rabbit hole. Because uh, what else do we have to talk about with the show at this point? We're just increasingly like non-qualified conversation pieces that we tackle with just like great gusto. Look, guys, we could either go one of two ways. We could do that or we could just only go back to live albums. What do you choose? I mean, it's up to you, really. Uh, All right. We have to pick a song, Bob. Um, I want you to pick this one. I I think there was a song that really connected with both of us. I do too. Um, But I want you to uh, tell us what that is. I'm going to do that right after we thank our Patreonies over at patreon.com slash throwback pod. You guys have stuck with us through all of this, all of the ups and downs for many, many years. And uh, thank you for keeping us. Not those Australian blokes. No, they left. They fucking (laughs) bailed. They bailed hard. But thank you to everybody except Mancy and Kleine for supporting us. (laughs) Um, thank you to Courtney and Wyatt. Thank you to Matthew the Crikey, sponsor. we were so loyal to them. <laughs> what do we get, Crikey? Thank you to Matthew the sponsor. Thank you to Miles. Slow down, slow down, slow down. Thank you to Miles. Oh, I Miles. Love, wait, I wait, love wait, catching wait, you off guard. Wait, wait, thank you to Miles. Wait, 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 wait. Miles and Matthew. Wait, wait, wait. Who? And Courtney who, and Wyatt. Wait, who was the other one? And Miles. one more. Oh, nice. Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling to salads and scrambled eggs. <laughs> and also... <laughs> Thank you to Bruno, the sponsor. Yeah. If I keep doing this, we're going to have to have a theme song for every single one of these motherfuckers. Yeah, we do. I like how you call our top tier Patreonies motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> Love you guys. All right. All right. So thank you, everybody. Uh, we're going away for a bit again because I'm getting on an airplane in the morning and going to Atlanta. As Bono once said, 
We just got to go away and dream it all up again. That's what we're doing. We'll be doing another season of Lego Masters, but when I come back... We will not give you Actung Baby when we come back, though. We will give you something far more memorable. Our MC Hammer <laughs> Pumps episode. <in> <laughs> 80s long butt spectacular as well. Um, Are we going? We just got back. I know. Well, do you want to come to Atlanta? No. It's a fun city. It's a fun city. No, 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 no. Fine. I guess I'll go alone. Why don't you quit your job? Okay. So we can record more throwback podcast episodes. More of the thing that you're like kind of one foot out the door on. (laughs) I do like the idea of you quitting your job and then me like giving you 10 excuses and us not recording (laughs) once in three months. I mean, I I almost bailed on you today. I was very excited to like be the one. I saw that text last night. It was like, uh, it was a very Bob wants me to cancel text. I was waiting for it. I was one of those. Hey, do you really want to do this? You let me know. And you just thought I was going to write. Yeah, fuck it. But instead I was like, up to you. I'm cool. And then I was like, oh, he's fucked now. Just like waiting for you to text me that you can't do it today. (laughs) I totally knew what you were trying to do. And I I said, no, we have to record because you will be on a plane. No, and I wanted to, but yesterday was a long day. So it was was that like late night, like, oh, God. How about that? How about the dedication? Dedication. We're still doing it. We're still here. So many years later. Okay. Okay. That's it. We got to pick the song. It's this, right? Yeah. Okay, good. The only other thing it could have been was Every Rose, but the way that you were sort of talking about how much it was overused, I knew where you were kind of going with that one. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't go wrong with Every Rose, but I thought we gave it its flowers. I agree. So let's go with What It Takes by Aerosmith. Um, I think it's their second appearance on our playlist. It definitely would be, yeah. Uh, So congrats to Aerosmith joining the two-timers club. Okay. Nailed it again. Do we want to reward Steven Tyler for his behavior? I, you know what? Statute. I I stand with wim- the women. Wow. I am in, uh, I'm against you on this. Wait a minute. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wait a second. Uh, anything else, Bob? I don't think so. So uh, what are we doing? Are we going on a hiatus again? Or what? I don't know. I mean, do you want to try to do remote pods with Graver Maybe. again? Maybe okay. we'll do one. Am I packing my microphone? Oh, I think you should. Okay, I'll do if that. If you can. All right, I'll do that. Good. All right, well. Now that we've handled that clerical business on mic, uh, we have nothing else to do but say goodbye. I hope you enjoyed this uh, two-parter. And if you didn't, you can go fuck yourself. Tell it how it is that you-